This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives, dreamers and entrepreneurs online. I'm your host, Sarah Tasker, a certified life coach specialising in creative business and teaching all things relating to the platform that changed my life, Instagram. This is episode 100. Hello, my friends. How are you all? It has been a hectic couple of weeks here. I have launched the Insta Retreat with brand new branding on a brand new website, brand new checkout, and all of the technical terror and smoothness and hiccups and everything in between that comes with that. Um, we are now a few weeks in and it's going really well and I'm really happy. Um, and my rebrand relaunch is very nearly over the line as well. So it's just tying up lots of loose ends and kind of push, push, pushing things to get them to that last, last bit of the finish line. I have also been dealing with a sick pet. Some of you might have seen on my Twitter, my Instagram, I keep birds. If you've listened to earlier episodes of the podcast, the birds used to feature because they were always in the background um, and I would record around them. But then I got a cockatiel and he just shouts. So I had to move out of the room because it went from charming to like slightly obnoxious. So one of my... I, I mean, you shouldn't have favourites, but my favourite, my favourite of all the birds, Jack, has been really poorly. And because I am who I am, I have been really devastated. Like the vet told me to euthanise him and I ended up fighting and he's doing really well now and he's been at home for a couple of weeks. Um, but it has been an emotional time for me. And one of the things I've really been thinking during that kind of during balancing that with like this huge work project that I'm undertaking at the same time is like oh my god I am completely unemployable can you imagine if I had an office job like a nine to five and I would be like showing up just sobbing and they'd be like oh my god Sarah what's 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 wrong and I'd just be like my budgie is pouring that yeah that's that's not really accepted office culture and I would have to be like I'm sorry I'm gonna have to leave three times a day to feed my budgie um you know birds come first so I have been so grateful for this business this life I have built myself that has space for all of the facets of my weirdness of my neurodiversity but also just of my humanness like I am not ashamed of the fact that I love my pets and my friends and my family to the point of like tearfulness and huge emotions because the it works both ways right you feel the sadness really strongly but you feel the love and the happiness really strongly too so I I think I've got it right um but all of that has just been kind of uh percolating in my mind and it's quite relevant to today's episode because me and Anna are talking about freelancing and about that shift from the structure of a nine-to-five job to being kind of out on your own as a freelancer as a self-employed person as a business owner and also even really as someone who's working from home which I know a lot of people not everyone wants to be self-employed or freelance but the pandemic has given a lot of people their first taste of that freedom to kind of design your own workday to a lesser or greater extent depending on your job I think that's really fascinating just thinking about like if we designed the workday right now from scratch if we went oh humans can do labor and that creates value in the world let's come up with a system for that would we say nine to five Monday to Friday that's the best way to get the best out of these humans and their nuances and their bodies and their biology because I don't think it would be in fact I tweeted um just a few weeks ago something along the lines of like are there any other mammals does anyone know of any other mammals out there that do not need periods of rest during the day like are there any because I've been to the zoo and I've seen the chimps and they all sleep they do stuff and then they sleep and like I've kept hamsters and cats and dogs and birds I know they're not mammals but like I've kept a lot of animals myself and they all spend big chunks of the day just asleep they they're industrious they do stuff and then they sleep and if there are no others 
literally of all the other mammalian species on Earth that do not expect themselves to get up at 6.30 and keep going without sleep until, like, 9.30 at night, then isn't that a sign that we're not supposed to either? Like, isn't that kind of a bit of a red flag that we've maybe been scammed here and actually we're supposed to rest a whole lot more than we do and it's not lazy to need that. It's not lazy... You're not deficient or broken if you cannot sit at your desk and type nonstop between the hours of nine and five. Um, and if you work better at different times of the day or if you need like more rest than the other people around you. I just think it's fascinating. And I think that that is what working from home has maybe given people a chance to kind of think about. And it's definitely what working for myself has given me the freedom to play around with and has absolutely now made me unemployable. You could not offer me any money in the world to go back to sitting in an office nine to five unless, of course, my family needed it and there was no other choice. Anyway, that's my little rant for the day. So I will hand over to Anna for our conversation today. Anna's been on the podcast just once before, so you might remember her. And I hope you loved this conversation just as much as I did. I really got such a lot out of it. Anna, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. In case anyone's not already listened to the first episode, you should probably do everyone's favorite thing to do. Can you give us the introduction to who you are and what you do? So I'm Anna Kojirado. I'm a journalist, podcaster, and now author. Congratulations. How many days has it been? Uh, exactly a week since the book came out. It's Thursday that, today that we're recording and it came out on the 25th of March. Your baby is a week old. <laughs> your book baby. And how has that been? How has, this is your first book. So how has, have you found that whole process? It's been an amazing process, but at the same time, a very weird one as well, because whilst the idea was very much conceived in the before times, the actual book came about in the pandemic. So I got the book deal in the pandemic. I wrote the book in the pandemic. I launched the book in the pandemic. So that was quite, has been quite strange. Has it changed the book? Changed the uh, content? A, yes, a bit to a, to, to a certain extent. So the skeleton of the idea was already there before I went out with the proposal. And I had I, I, I could see the book very clearly in my mind before I started writing it. And so that would have been at the end of 2019. I think the only way that really that, so the pandemic has just changed some things in the interest in the sense that I've made reference to it where it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. However, because the book is about the whole cycle of being a freelancer from, you know, from the very beginning of starting out all the way through to your whole kind of life as a freelancer it didn't need to be explicitly mentioned over and over again um it wasn't fully you know it was it definitely wasn't relevant in the tax section um <laughs> so but yeah it did change things and also i think the reality is i was actually reading a review recently about books that came out that were clearly written before the pandemic but came out during mm. it and it just feels like it, it, we we can't not acknowledge the pandemic now it's been such a huge thing for all of us that you I don't think you can really get you can't write a book now or have a book come out without mentioning it because it does feel like a gaping hole um but at the same time I didn't want to make it entirely about that either you want it to be timeless don't you so like someone picks it up five years from now and they're not like well the pandemic was five years ago come on hopefully exactly hopefully yeah, we're exactly. there in five years that was also quite a daunting process as well as I was writing it that books as writing a book is um as, as a journalist as someone who's so used to writing things with quite a fast turnaround yeah. I trying to have that long lead time of trying to even imagine what people might be thinking or what the where the world might be months later down the line was quite daunting and really difficult to wrap my head around. So that was also something that was kind of going on in the back of my mind as I was trying to figure out where to reference the pandemic and where not. I had the same thing when I wrote my book, just even with the tech, I was describing Instagram and literally they were bringing out new features and I was like emailing my editor going, is it too late to change this page? Because you want it to be as contemporary as it can. 
knowing also that it's going to keep shifting. So you you try and write it with that kind of what is going to be helpful advice, whether you read this next week, next year, five years from now. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it's just that it's just that quirk of writing books. And I'm just really glad that I now have that skill that I've exercised that particular muscle um, and sort of now have just a different way of thinking about how to write longer form content. Yeah. How did you find that process? Did you enjoy it? Was it a struggle? I loved the writing of the book. And I think also because for me, it's such a luxury as a freelancer to have a project that goes on for such a long time. Mm. I really tried to kind of bask in that and know that, okay, for X amount of months, I just have this thing that I get to work on. And that just felt very precious. So I try to really enjoy actually being present in the moment of creating the book. And that part I found to be the most enjoyable. Um, and yes, toward, towards the end, it did start to feel like I was in a Groundhog Day within a Groundhog Day because as I was getting closer to my deadline, every day I was waking up early, just cracking on with writing and doing that pretty much every day all all throughout the week. And then of course, we're living in those in the Groundhog Day of, <laughs> of the worst of the kind of the most intense points of lockdown. So definitely towards the end, um, it started to get a bit hairy, but I actually really loved the writing. And um, to a large extent, I probably, if I think about this, I'm not surprised because I have found this to be the case for all creative work I've done. But the hard bit wasn't the writing. The hard bit was everything around the creation of the book. So the pitching the book, finding the mm. agent, getting the book deal. And then now I'm sort of post-launch or sort of post-production. It's all of the marketing and, you know, trying to get the book out into the hands of readers and all of that kind of stuff. So um, which is ironically, I kind of talk about this in the book itself, that the actual doing part is is easy. And that's the bit that's really enjoyable, but there's so much around it that you also have to do. Um, I've heard the writer and author Roxane Gay talk about the difference between the business of writing and the writing of writing. Mm. And they're two very different disciplines. Um, and I really have felt that going into this process more so than I have done with other writing that, um, I've published in the past because, uh, those tend to be sort of quicker pieces that go into newspapers or magazines that I'm, I guess I'm less, I guess I'm less bothered about whether or not people, I'm paid a flat fee for those. So mm. obviously, of course I want, of course I want people to read them. Of course I want people to read my work, but it's not the same as I know that there's a big selling element to books as well, not just reading, um, which I guess isn't really talked about a whole lot, but um, it's a different dynamic when you're just trying to encourage people to, when you're sharing an article, of course you want people to read it, but it doesn't, the end, how many how many people read it has no impact on how much money you make. Um, so that's just also an interesting and new dynamic to contend with. And is there something there as well that's not financial, but that there's more of a sense of ownership over your book like I called it your baby because that's kind of how I felt about mine it's it's more representative of you somehow than a piece with your name on or not oh it definitely it definitely feels like it's mine and you know it's it's that physical book it's my first book it's it's one of those things that there is an assumption that most journalists or writers will eventually write a book um and to a large extent I do think many writers do want to eventually do that because there is something just very special about it. Um, and also, this is really technical, but I have full copyright over my book. I don't get that yes. with articles that I write for magazines and newspapers. And that's made very clear in the contracts that you sign. It's um, in some respects, it feels like I'm writing something for someone, some, for someone else's brand. And depending on what kind of magazine or newspaper you're writing for, you typically do have to shift your voice so that it fits the the overall publication's voice and it's you know singing from that from their mm. hymn sheet and you don't even always get the final say do you like sometimes they go up and you're like well that wasn't the headline I wrote but okay exactly exactly whereas the editing process for a book was so much more collaborative and the bottom line always was these are suggestions 
which of course, you know, my editor's been working in this field a lot longer than I have, and she's got that experience. Um, and I always took her suggestions, but it was all always, this is your book. This is your call. You get the final say in this. Whereas I, um, I don't have that when I'm doing freelance writing for publications. Of course I have it if I'm self-publishing, but that's, that's kind of, a, that's something that's different. Um, so yeah, it definitely feels like this is mine. Um, and I feel much more like it's a piece of me, um, which is also because it has my story in it. Um, and I, I, I'm not, um, I'm not really an essayist or a sort of first person writer. So I don't usually kind of, when I'm writing features, they're normally someone else's story, whereas mm-hmm. this is mine. Yeah, and so there's an inherent vulnerability in that going out and sitting on people's shelves for years to come. Um, but I guess it's it's similar to the vulnerability that many of us feel in this business of having our own business or being freelance in terms of like having like the book stops with us. There is no big company that's going to protect us if we say the wrong thing, if we make a mistake or if we accidentally hurt someone. And it's something I'm hearing so much at the moment from kind of the clients I work with that they the fear now, right now, of showing up in any way is really, really high. People are really scared of getting it wrong. Like, do you, is that something you struggle with? Is that something you've made peace with? It's definitely something that I've struggled with. I think it's very interesting. So I've been actually thinking about this quite a lot. You know, why are we scared to put ourselves out there? And I think in the before times, it actually more often than not just came down to embarrassment. And this is something that um, I actually explored a bit when I was writing the book, because one thing, and I'm sure you've heard this from people who... um, want to set up an Instagram account, but they are too scared to start because they are just so worried that a friend or a colleague or former colleague or an ex or whoever might be. It's always those real life people as well. It's never like what strangers will think. Exactly. It's always like what the mums at the school gate or... Exactly. There's a specific person they have in their mind's eye who they are worried will laugh at them for publishing, you know, whatever it is, creating an Instagram account, publishing a blog, starting a newsletter, starting a podcast. Trying. It's being seen to try. Exactly. And... I did a bit of research for the book and I discovered that that actually is just, that is just straight up embarrassment. (laughs) And, um, that what a lot of us forget about embarrassment is that it can happen when something is, whether the situation is positive or negative. And the way I found this to kind of, for it to click and for me to understand it is that when you think about it, you, you are just as embarrassed when someone forget you forget someone's name as you are when someone compliments you so even if the the thing that is being highlighted is positive you can still feel embarrassed and the way this kind of relates to starting something or striking out on your own or setting up an instagram account or whatever it is is that fundamentally embarrassment happens when you step outside of the norm and you do something that is not the the thing that is expected of you and even though side hustling, social media as a career, freelancing are now very popular, they are still in the minority. Uh, it is not the norm to be a freelancer. There's 15% of the workforce who work for themselves. That is still a not. That's still not mm-hmm. the majority. So doing anything that is not expected of you, that is that's just fertile ground for embarrassment. And we're pack animals, aren't we? Like we want to belong. Exactly, exactly. And it's just something that's kind of very sort of deep in you. So I think that's kind of, that's, that's definitely one thing that really holds people back. And I think that was by and large the case in the before times. But I think now, on top of that, what is holding people back is very low emotional reserves, Mm. very low resilience. And I see this in myself. So I've been freelancing long enough now that I I know rejection is par for the course. And I know that pitching freelance articles, pitching for work is a really grueling game where I don't expect to get a yes to every idea I put out there. And I made peace with that a long time ago and I grew a really thick skin. But this last year really challenged me and really threw all of that 
kind of out of the window. And I have found myself really struggling to put myself out there and to guard myself against rejection because I think my baseline is just that much lower. Um, and there is just so many uncertainties swirling around for all of us, particularly in this in space of working for yourself, because we, we as small business owners, as freelancers have really been very negatively impacted by the last year. There hasn't been the same kind of level of financial support from the government as there has been for people in, in employment. It, it has been documented that the self-employed have, have are amongst the group that have suffered the most um, in terms of kind of like businesses. So I think there's all of that going on. And I think that's kind of what's contributing to what I've kind of, I, I, I've, I've sort of talked about feeling really burnt mm. out recently. And I've written about that in my newsletter and I've just been, my mess, my inbox has just been inundated with people saying they feel the same. So there's, I think there's a lot going on and a lot kind of swirling around for people in relation to being scared to put themselves out there, feeling really burned out, really questioning everything at the moment and kind of all of the, um, you know, whether they're doing the thing that they really want to be doing, whether they're in a job that suits them. I think there's just, there's just so much reckoning going on yeah yeah and so I suppose it it applies to audiences too that they're in that same space because we we are the audiences as well as the uh the creators all of us and so we may be quicker to react to things so there is I think there is some genuine kind of observations that are feeding this fear for people that like it's not safe to show up because they do see people arguing more online or kind of you know being called out more quickly online and partly I think that's just because we've we've come quite far in the last 12 months in terms of social justice and activism but also I think a lot of people are, are frazzled and kind of we're all we're all like on our last what what is the expression like whatever our last leg <laughs> yeah that it's that our nerves are just really frayed um and that just impacts so many aspects of our life and i think there's also something i think there's something to be said that there's probably a tension going on for a lot of people as well because on the one hand this pandemic has really made us reflect you know we have been stripped of all of our normal distractions and we've just been left to sit for a year only with our <laughs> thoughts and so it's really made us reflect on what we want out of life what's important but then at the same time it's also really hard to go after those things as well um both literally we are stuck at home and it's hard to kind of know how to take these first steps and there's a lot of uncertainty and you know it's always a risk to take uh, to take big dramatic change in the in the in a period of unknown um and then as you say people do seem to be meaner online at the moment i think because everyone's been so starved of of real social contact i think all of us have somewhat lost the ability to know how to have nuanced mm. conversations and how to interact with each other so i think there is a tension that perhaps some of us feel there you know there is this thing that i've been wanting to do for so long why haven't i done it but at the same time now feels even harder to actually go after that, go after that yeah. goal. It's kind of the fallacy of the pandemic, right? You've got so much time and yet none of us seem to have any more time for the things that we actually want to do. Um, or I don't know if you've experienced this, but I just filled all of the time with work, which didn't do me any good. And I didn't really know what else to put in there. So that is, I think, how I burned myself out. So I... I just worked my way out of what, you know, I didn't want to sit and feel uncomfortable mm. with all of these thoughts. So I just filled up my time with work and more work and more work. And also, of course, um, and the interesting thing for me is that I was already, as you know, same with you, I was already working from home anyway. Um, so it was just quite interesting to observe how yet I was still very much impacted by everything that happened the last year. Yes. Yeah. Because at first I was like, oh, this is fine. Like, okay, my, my daughter's going to be at home, but my husband can take care of her. So nothing's changed. I'm so lucky. But things had changed, even though we were lucky. We are lucky that on paper it, we were able to keep working. Our brains had changed. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and so I just, I just use work as my distraction. I kind of full on dunked my head into the 
problem of busyness and just used, just tried to busy my way out of feeling frustrated and scared and overwhelmed and everything else that we've all been feeling. And the problem was, is that I also take my work really seriously and I am a perfectionist and I do want things to, 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 if I'm going to do something, I want to do it right. And so I just kept saying yes to things, piled my plate higher and higher, decided to take on really ambitious projects at really <laughs> poorly, at really poorly times moments. And then I just realized, oh my God, this is, this is just not sustainable. This is not really, this is not going to work. And also the thing is, is that the reason I'm calling it burnout is because one of the classic signs that you have actual burnout is when you feel like the effort you're putting into something, you're not getting the reward from mm. it and that you're putting more in than you're getting out from it. And that was definitely how I was feeling. It's that kind of classic, you know, your job's not going to love you back sort of situation. Um, and that then results in feeling absolutely exhausted emotionally and physically, not actually being able to be productive. And also the thing that to me was the real worry and the real red, red flag was that I was feeling really, really cynical about my industry, about being freelance mm. about my job, all of these things. And, and yeah, it's, of course, part of that is just the fact that it has been harder to freelance in the pandemic. But to me, I was kind of like, where on earth is this coming from? Because even my whole thing has always been about how, yes, there are lots of difficult things about working for yourself. But to me, I still way prefer this way of working and living than I do to traditional employment. Yes. So when when that kind of cropped up out of nowhere, I then that's when I kind of paid attention to it and realized, oh, okay, well done, Anna. You're now <laughs> fully burned out. This is mirroring so closely what I've been going through. And the hard thing is once you're at that point, the joy and the enthusiasm for the industry is always what I've used for fuel. Like that's what makes me motivated to do it is like, this is so exciting. I've got to tell people about it. Or this is really interesting. Let me tell people about it. So once I lost that, nothing was exciting or interesting and everything was rubbish. I didn't want to tell anyone anything except to just go to bed. And then what? Like the, there was nowhere to go. I, I get that. Re that resonates so hard because for me, it manifested in, oh my God, you've just written a book about how to freelance basically <laughs> and you write a newsletter about it and you are really struggling yourself and you're you feel like you're not being you know you're not doing freelancing well so how on earth can you kind of go out and promote this book or kind of you know write your newsletter and all, and all of this stuff so that was kind of like my sort of gremlin um and thankfully now I'm definitely coming out of this burnout phase that what I have realized is that I've never, I've never professed to be some kind of, you know, freelancing guru or anything like that. I have always just documented my journey as a freelancer, the highs as well as mm. the lows. Um, and that's what the book is about. That's what my newsletter is about. And actually just coming back to that sort of truth, um, has been really, really helpful and just such a good reminder for me about just putting things in perspective um, and kind of like talking back to that and to those negative yeah. voices. Yeah, I think we should really stress this actually because it's something I hear from a lot of people in all different industries and it's especially women, but that we think we have to have 100% of all of the answers before we're allowed to help anyone else. And like when you say it like that, you realize what fallacy it is because who is the best person to help you through, say, postpartum anxiety? Someone who's never had a child and never been anxious or someone who has gone through it and is still struggling with it, but showing up and finding a way to live with it. Like you don't have to be fixed, in inverted commas, in order to tell the story and show people what's working for you. 100% because ultimately that is what, connects people is the story and that story is normally of a journey and an ongoing journey um and that that's you know if you kind of look at some of the most prominent youtube creators it's always just been about documenting their yeah. lives and and that and, and of course we put the we tend to put the high you know the highlight reel more so but 
people who do show up authentically and who are able to talk just as much about the difficult stuff, uh, they are the ones who just create that much more holistic understanding and kind of visual for what it's really, what going through something is really like. Um, and I think that's applicable. You know, it doesn't even, ha you don't have to be kind of like laying your soul bare and talking about only really, really difficult and traumatic stuff. It can be as simple as, you know, what I do, which is just talking about the realities of working for yourself. Yeah. I always say it can be like, um, I've burnt through lots of toast this morning because I'm so distracted by my phone or whatever. Like, yeah, you don't, it doesn't have to be deep and personal to be relatable. So actually, we should probably pause and define what we're talking about when we are talking about freelancing here or having your own business, because the book is called You're the Business, which I love the pun. I love a punny book title. Um, and that's kind of the message of the book, really, is like, yes, you're a freelancer, but that means you also kind of have a business, whether you chose it or not. Although that was my interpretation. That is 100% it. Um, that's the central message that I just try to get across throughout the whole book. Because, and I say this at the very beginning of the book, you can and you very much should call yourself whatever you want. I like the term freelancer. Other people don't, and they don't want to use that term that is absolutely fine. I'm definitely not here to kind of police how people identify themselves as workers. But what is fundamentally true, in my opinion, of anybody who works for themselves in any capacity is that you are running a business, even if it is a business of one. Ultimately, you are um, providing services or products and you are responsible for everything that goes on around around that item or service or whatever it is. You are the CEO, the head of finance, the head of technology. You're also the worker, the employee. You're kind of you're, and you're the head of marketing, head of sales. You're you wear all of these hats, um, and I very much kind of wanted to get away from this idea of how when you work for yourself, you're the boss, because yes, you are the boss, but you are also the employee as well. And you have to kind of know when to shift both of those, when to shift in and out of each of those different modes. And um, I, I do believe that anyone who wants to work for themselves, anyone who wants to freelance, anyone who want, wants to run their own small business or micro business can do it. There is absolutely kind of no necessarily kind of prerequisites in terms of business knowledge. I don't have a business degree um, or any kind of formal business training. Yes, I worked in-house as a journalist prior to going freelance, but I, I, I was never on the business side. Um, all of that information is very much learnable and figureoutable. Um, much of it is in the book, but you do need a willingness to work that stuff out mm. and learn it. Um, because I think the biggest reality check I had about going freelance is that when I, so I went freelance after working in house for a, for a quite a while. Um, and when I was in house and imagining what freelancing would be like, I basically thought it would be all of the great things about my job, the actual writing of the articles and coming up with ideas, um, minus, the office politics and having to deal with a mm. boss and taking holidays whenever you want. Exactly. Taking holidays whenever I want, living this very charmed life, all of this. Whilst that's kind of true, what I failed to appreciate and to realize is that I would then also have to do the function of all of the people who kept the lights on in that mm. large organization but I had to do it myself for my tiny organization. And I didn't realize, again, kind of talking, you know, to go back to what I was saying at the very beginning about, I loved the writing of the book. I didn't realize how much would kind of go into everything around it. It's this, exactly the same with my general experience of freelancing. Um, it's been the same experience I have found um, starting a podcast, writing a newsletter, doing freelance journalism, the actual 
skill part, the bit that I am trained in, the bit that's kind of my skill, my creativity, that's always been really easy um, and takes up the least amount of time. It's everything else that goes around it that takes up. Um, it's kind of, I sort of thinking of it as the 80, 20 rule. I spend 20% of my time on the creative thing that I'm making. And then 80% of my time is on the marketing, the sales, the chasing, the invoices, the, all of that kind of stuff, the strategizing, the working on my business rather than in it, all of that stuff. Do you think that's a good balance? Do you think 80, 20 is something to aim for? Um, probably not. I, I wish it was the other way around, but I think part of it, Part of it is my own stuff that I need to kind of, I'm, I guess I'm, I think I'm having a bit of growing pains at the moment, having done this now for nearly four years, I definitely need to delegate mm -hmm. more. Um, and also, um, I am pretty good. I'm very embracing of technology and letting the robots do all of my admin for me, but I think I could do that. I could step that up a lot more. I don't automate enough. I don't delegate enough. Um, so that's part of it. I think there are some part, parts that are just very clunky and it's very difficult to, um, you just, you know, you will have to, there are some admin that no matter how streamlined your business is, there are some admin that's always kind of going to trip you up. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would definitely like to work on that balance a bit more because, um, I don't love the fact that I spend, but then I don't know, it's, I go back and forth because, I am one of those people who I do like to look at my spreadsheets and I do like to um, kind of analyze the business mm. side of my business. And I actually find that to be quite creative sometimes. I think it can be quite fun to look at that stuff and to sort of think about, oh, well, you know, the pandemic has changed this area of my business. How can I adapt? Um, I don't see, I don't, of course, there's, of, of course, there is fear, but I also find that quite exciting and quite creative and an opportunity to use my creative skills in my business. Um, that though is very distinct from, you know, I will never enjoy chasing invoices or raising or invoices emails. for that matter. <laughs> or email, God, no, Yeah, this, this is really fascinating because this is kind of the main thing that's been holding me back, I would say for the last couple of years, if I'm really honest, like I have a little team, um, but I never wanted to be a manager. I didn't start this business because I love managing like that. Even the word makes me want to take a nap. And I'm not a great delegator. And especially when you've built this business yourself. And like we were saying with the book, it it's representative of you, of you as a human, not all of you, but definitely parts of you. And you've touched every single part of it because you've built it from scratch. So you know how you like the email newsletters to look and to sound and to go out. And you know, like how to update the little things on your website and every single thing. So letting go of it is very different to I try and imagine like, you know, you just run a big corporation, and you're like, oh, I need someone to write newsletters for me, you just hire someone and it wouldn't feel personal and it wouldn't feel difficult in the same way it does when it's your own personal business and brand. And I'm, I'm aware, as I say this, that not everyone listening is going to be at this place in their business, but I think it is valuable to think about earlier on than I did to be thinking like, could some, what could someone else do if they had the right processes, if I was able to delegate appropriately and what would that give me in exchange because actually the most valuable asset I can give to my business now is not updating WordPress plugins and it's not like scheduling emails it's creating it's the big picture stuff it's making the stuff that only I can make and everything else then is better done by somebody else with probably a more specialist skill set so that that frees me up to do more of that. So I think this actually taps in to a much bigger problem that is to do with work as a whole, because what you've described about not wanting to be a manager is exactly what I had. And it's kind of really what fundamentally drove me to freelance, because at least in my industry, but to be honest, I have, I have observed this to be a problem across multiple industries. In my industry, if you are good at your job, which is a creative job, you are rewarded by being made a manager. Yes. I, same in speech therapy, of all things. The best speech therapists and become managers and stop being clinicians. Exactly. <laughs> and that is bonkers <laughs> because 
management is a discrete skill, a very important skill, an underappreciated skill, and also one that is not, you're not just born a great manager. Mm -hmm. You, you have to learn it and you are promoted to a manager and yeah, okay. You might be given some management training, but again, it can say this very quickly (laughs) for journalism and the media, there is very poor management training and there is not adequate management training. And so you end up with managers who don't actually want to manage and who also don't have the support and the training to even attempt to do the job in a half decent way. And so I was, when I was still in house dreaming about being a freelancer, I was looking at my situation and thinking, okay, I'm now at a point in my career where I do want, I am ambitious. I do want to progress, but the only path I can see in front of me is to go down Take it, you know, taking on more management responsibilities. And I just really don't want to do that. And I'm frustrated because there are things about how we work and this company that I don't like. But if I go down the path of trying to fix them, that's going to take me so far away from the thing I yeah. enjoy doing, which is the actual writing. And and I kind of just sat and stressed about this. And I I thought, oh, maybe the solution is freelancing. I I also thought I wanted to freelance for lots of other reasons. But I was always, I was too scared to make that leap. In the end, I got made redundant and the decision was kind of made for me. Um, Best thing that ever happened to me. However, I've now reflected on that and just realized how stupid that is as as kind of a situation. That why can't we work in a way where management is its own separate track? And you have your managers and you have your clinicians or your creatives or your doers, basically, your highly skilled people. Um, So unfortunately, until work catches up and fixes that problem, um, this is kind of where we're left. And um, what I've been doing to sort of at least solve this in my own business is that um, I've been doing a lot of thinking and talking to people who are really at the cutting edge of this sort of future of work stuff and this idea of distributed teams um, and not having kind of hierarchies, but working in a collaborative way. Um, and so a kind of friend and sort of freelance pal of mine, her name's Lauren Rosavi, um, she's writing a book about the future of work and digital nomads and all of this sort of really snazzy, nerdy stuff. Um, and she's she's really helped to encourage me to think about not taking people on as though I'm managing them, but collaborating with people and working with fellow freelancers and actually setting really clear expectations from the outset that I'm not managing you, you're collaborating on this area of my business. And if you have a really clear process, then it's actually less about that traditional Chasing manager yeah exactly yes. and that's that's um, kind of the skill set I'm working on acquiring at the moment is like I have an expectation sometimes that people will just see it because I see it and of course that's not true and if you don't set really clear like this is how you'll know when it's done and this is how you'll tell me it's done then of course people don't know to let you know and you don't get the communication and- And that, again, comes back to how, uh, at least in my experience, places I worked in the industry I worked in, that wasn't happening internally at companies either. This idea of creating clear processes, I mean, it's basically what underpins Cal Newport. So Cal Newport, this amazing, is one of my kind of work (laughs) icons because uh, his his book deep work just fundamentally changed how I think about my work but he has this new book out at the moment called a world without email and what underpins that book is this idea that if we had clearer processes and if we all knew what we were supposed to be doing when how and all if all of those things were in place we wouldn't be sending these back and forth pointless emails and just drowning in endless emails and not actually being able to do our work so all of that has helped me feel a bit better because I've realized this isn't a me problem. This is, I mean, it's partly a me problem, but this is also part of a bigger problem. Definitely. And the me back when I was working in house and thinking, but I want to progress and I just don't see myself in the only route that I, that is there ahead of me. I internalized all of that as a failing on my part, that I wasn't fit. To, I wasn't cut out for this cutthroat world of journalism or, you know, whatever stories I was telling myself that it was, if I couldn't see myself, in on that path that meant there was something wrong with me and I have now come to realize that 
it's a it's a much bigger issue and it's more structural than it is individual absolutely i mean there were therapists in the nhs when i was there who had been there so long like were much more senior than the people that were now managing them but they chose to stay as clinicians which meant their pay couldn't continue to grow you know they couldn't continue to take responsibility and and it it was a really awkward dynamic and i really felt for those people because the people who were managing were not always people most suitable to the role let's say um so one thing that I've been implementing in my business at the moment that is so simple, but like I just never would have thought to do it because I'd never seen it modeled anywhere, is we're having this thing called question filters. So whenever anyone on my team has a question that they want to send me, they have to think of what they think the answer is, explain what they want to do about it, and then send me that instead of sending me the question. So instead, it's just I just go yes or no to their answer instead of me having to give them an answer and then basically I take all that responsibility back on myself does that make sense (laughs) oh yeah that definitely makes sense and I love that and that also that I mean that that is great management really because that's encouraging independent thought and kind of autonomy and having direction over your own work which that was always a problem I had when I was being managed that I never really knew when I was supposed to take initiative yeah. and when I wasn't. I, rem- I, I, I remember things would really stick out in my mind where times when I took initiative thinking it was the right thing to do and I got in so mm. much trouble for it. Um, and then equally, you know, if you don't take initiative, you kind of, that's not great either. So it's a really hard balance. But this question filter, that is just, that to me sets the expectations really clearly. And I almost feel like I should be doing that on myself as well. <laughs> Well, yeah, like to your own brain, you mean? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Well, and it's true because otherwise you waste the resources and the ideas and the genius of the people that you're hiring because, of course, it's more comfortable to to defer all the responsibility back to you because then if something's wrong or not what you wanted the result to be you're the one responsible instead of them. So it's just really, really human nature. But yeah, so like learning about management, not exciting to me, but then things like that are fun. In the same way, I think that when you say the word marketing, that doesn't sound exciting to anybody, but there are bits within it that are about psychology and human behavior and creativity that we can find the fun in. Yeah, for sure. And I think that is... Um, again, that's kind of something that I do try to stress throughout the book is that for all every business jargony phrase that, especially lots of creatives who go into this business of working for yourself, makes them feel uncomfortable or icky, just re just simply reframing, reframing them actually really helps. I mean, networking is a really big one as well, where it's less about, it's not that kind of icky corporate you know stuffy corporate room with the warm white wine and the (laughs) shoulder pads name tags shoulder pads (laughs) and name tags but actually it's just helping people out um and it's just being friendly and helpful um and that what goes around comes around uh and hey presto there you go that's that's you've networked um, and you've not felt gross about it i really love what you say about selling in the book as well because that's one i hear probably more than anything that people feel horrible about and feel so much shame about. Yeah, because we're just taught, well, we, we kind of, when we think about selling, we, we also, there's a lot of us who kind of just go around saying that we hate being sold to, which is also, it's not really Mm. true because when you bought something that you really want, you've loved being sold to. We hate um, being sold to badly. Yes. Yeah. We hate feeling like we're being sold something we don't want and that we're not being listened to. But when we want the thing and we've had a good experience with the selling, you don't even really think you don't even think. And you're so grateful because if they hadn't told you it existed, you couldn't have had that pleasure in your life. Yeah. And your problem wouldn't be solved um, because there is this there's this um, this kind of phrase about how no one wants to buy a quarter inch drill bit they want to buy a quarter inch hole. Mm. And so your job as the salesperson is to fix their problem. I underlined this bit Um, in the book. It was so good. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, it's really funny because actually I actually borrowed lots of, well, not borrowed, I fully credited <laughs> it, um, lots of um, ideas from very traditional management and business studies, um, things that have been around for a long time and that large companies use, um, but which are very applicable in businesses of one. Um, and then also, you know, the other thing with selling is just uh, the problem that freelancers have with selling and that creators have with, with selling is that we think we're selling a piece of us, a, our mm. own feelings of self-worth, when really actually the thing we're selling is a service or a product that is a sep is separate from us. Yes, of course, our skills and expertise and creativity have gone into it, but the thing we're selling does have that bit of emotional distance from it, or at least when you think of it in those terms, you can create that emotional distance. That I'm not selling me, Anna, the individual, I'm selling a service that I have created and that I am proud of and that I do see value in and that I do believe in. And the other thing, I don't know if this is something that comes up for you, but a lot of the people I talk to have somehow got the idea that they're required to lie in order to sell. And I think it maybe comes from lack of that self-belief in the product or the service. So they think maybe people won't really want me or what I do. But also I think so many of us have been exposed to so much shady marketing in our time that we kind of almost think that that's how sales has to be. So people are like, I don't want to be pushy and I don't want to have to try and persuade people that they need my product and I am always like good news because you, you can't and you don't have to like just tell them it exists and why you like it and if it's right for them then they'll see it too that's such a big part of it because I think that the older stereotype of selling is the kind of sleazy car salesman or door-to-door -door salesman. So that's that sort of very 80s, 90s idea of the salesperson, um, which, of course, you know, is glamorized in pop culture. You're thinking Wolf of, Wolf of Wall Street or um, I was just recently watching that series White Gold, which is about um, uh, window, door-to-door -door window salesman. Um, and that really is just... A, you know, lying to, you know, doing everything you can to close the yeah. deal and to get the sale. And you will lie, you will do whatever it takes. And you really don't believe in the product. And you really don't care the outcome apart from you just want to get the money basically out of the customer. Um, and to a large extent, we see this happen now with so much social media advertising. Mm. And the amount of people who buy things off Instagram, and then it turns out to just not be the thing that was advertised. Yes. And and that the manipulation techniques are no longer the guy coming to the door to sell you the thing and lie to your face, but you're just manipulated in, you know, the use of certain language and just, you know, the adverts following you around the internet. And there's just all of these new technological ways to manipulate us. Um, but that doesn't mean that's what you have to do to sell your product or service. Because ultimately, if you do make something that is really is of value to your audience and something that does solve a problem, then you don't need to use all of that nonsense yes. to sell it. Yeah. Um, and it's not, you're not going to be missing out. You're not going to be making less money because you're not going down that route. Because I think sometimes people think, well, that's the only way to really make any profit but actually like the, that just seems like a really hard way to make money to me I'm like why not just make something that's good to begin with and then it practically sells itself yeah yeah it's just way easier and this is something where I was working with a coach and over the last year and I was sort of saying to her like I have this conflict in me all of that money shame which I know you talk about in the book as well and like kind of being okay with money coming and going in your role in capitalism essentially and I was like I don't want to be a dirty capitalist and she was like well then be a clean capitalist like what is clean capitalism and you have to decide that for yourself and for me that phrasing really helped and helped me to think about like how can I do this in a way that doesn't feel problematic or like I'm making things worse but that I'm using the system that we're kind of stuck with right now to do good in the world yeah, because the reality is that it can be very difficult when you don't agree with the system, but it's such a large, you know, we talk about the system 
Like what, you know, <laughs> what is the system? I mean, the way I, I usually, I usually am thinking about capitalism and the patriarchy. Um, but that those are very, very large <laughs> things to try and dismantle as one individual. And also if you really do are so committed to dismantling them to, to a large extent, you kind of have to go in whole hog and that pretty much has to be your life yeah. work, life's work. And so, um, I totally get that tension of, looking around me and thinking, I'm not really happy with the things I see. How do I make change? But also I do have to live at the same time as well. Um, and you know, we are all people with conflicting thoughts, desires, feelings. It's really just about making peace with, with really what your own personal truths are. Um, and for me, I kind of reconcile these things by thinking, there are things that I can do um, at that kind of change-making level. And these are th these are ways that I want to kind of get involved with that. But then it's also really important for me to be, you know, working in my own back garden, essentially, yeah. and just creating a business that I am proud of. Because I think a lot of people sort of, there is this idea that, you know, business writ large equals bad and that, you know, business is a bad thing. Um, large corporations mean that, or sort of being very disparaging of large yeah. corporations can make people feel like, oh, like business, just all business is dirty, yeah. which is just not the, not true. Uh, and there are plenty of ways to create sustainable businesses and businesses that you're proud of and creative businesses and all, all of these kinds of things. Um, so that's what I try to do in my own practice. There's a famous quote, and I'm forgetting who said it, so I'm going to add it to the show notes, but it, it says, like, no bad will ever come from more money being in the hands of women and I do really generally believe that and I, that's something I really work on in my business is like I'm hiring women I'm helping other women establish their businesses and I am able to donate quite sizable amounts to um, Women for Women which is a charity that empowers women in nations that have been like affected by war to start their own businesses so like yeah I totally relate to what you're saying like business doesn't have to be a bad thing because for me it's been so empowering it's been almost therapeutic in the sense that it's made me confront every part of myself and continues to um and the more money people like us have the more we can use that to influence and to improve the world around us I believe yes for sure I mean the two things that spring to mind is that I I mean I'm pretty sure this is a kind of Instagram or Pinterest quote that I saw that um, you can hate capitalism, hate capitalism, and still like money. Oh yeah, um, which is quite a um, a weirdly comforting thought to try and get your head. My around. brain is like no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other thing this kind of makes me think about is that um, that's kind of the final chapter in my book, I talk about the self and self-employment and all of the ways that I've learned about, yes, I've learned business skills running my own business, but I've learned more about myself mm. than I have those hard business lessons. Um, or out of those hard business lessons came quite revelatory discoveries about myself, um, which is definitely something I was not expecting to happen when I went freelance, that it would take me on this kind of epic journey. Um, but one that I'm just so so grateful for absolutely uh I 100% agree and also in that I think that's the part of the book where you talk about how not everyone has to or wants to have their own business or be freelance and I think that's something I neglect to mention a lot on this podcast probably because I know so many people listening do want to but then in every time I run one of my classes like the insta retreat there's always a couple of people who are like I don't work for myself and I have no plans to and I don't want to. I just like the creativity and that's why I'm here. And you people are also very welcome and valid. And that's what makes the whole system work is the variety. Oh, for sure. I mean, if the outcome of someone reading my book is that they decide they don't want to work for themselves, I'm actually very happy with <laughs> you that. saved them. Um, exactly. Um, so it's just important to, it's, again, like I said, what I was imagining freelancing to be like, it's apples, it's apples and oranges to compare in-house work to self-employment. Um, they are two just very, very different beasts, both with their positives and their negatives. And it's just about finding the way that works for you. Um, and also just thinking about what are the bigger problems 
facing work as a whole and kind of why are like why are we in some of the messes that we're in um but i think that's a real that was really key for me that this is not some you know lofty idea about quit your job and if you work for yourself all your all the troubles in the world will melt away <laughs> because they won't. Nope, you'll just get new ones, new flavors of yep. problems. So Anna, the book is You're the Business, How to Build a Successful Career When You Strike Out Alone. And your podcast, Is This Working? Another amazing pun. Like, I don't know how you do it. Um, but you talk about a lot of these things, um, about the more kind of systemic stuff as well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, the um, so I could take full, we could take full credit for coming up with the pun of the podcast name myself and my podcast co-host Tiffany Philippou, but uh, it was my brilliant editor um, who came up with the title for the book. Well, it's yours now, <laughs> Anna. Thank you so much. Where can people find you online besides the podcast if they want to hear more? So I am at Anacod on Instagram and Twitter, and that's the best place to find me. And all of the links to everything that I do are all linked there in those bios. And in the show notes too. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Show notes for this episode are at meandola.co.uk forward slash podcast 100, because this is my 100th episode. And I did think I would do something special or different for it. But actually, in the end, I thought I am not going to set myself more hoops to jump through right now with everything that's going on. I just wanted to get this out here for you guys to hear. So listen out for something maybe special or different in the coming weeks. And I hope you have an awesome week until then. Lots of love.